first message I'm going to bring is the shorter one, which is, are we required to use sacred names? So just make it sacred names, question mark. Okay? There are people who say we do. And they say that if you don't use sacred names, you cannot have contact with God. And you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Is that true? Well, they go so far as saying in the New Testament that the name of Jesus comes from the name Zeus, which shows, number one, they know nothing about Greek when they say that. Then another part of it is the Greek has no J, like in English. But let me give you the Greek pronunciation of Jesus' name. Ye su. How close is that to J? Almost identical. Ye, J, right? Okay. Now, just, just know this, that if God wanted Hebrew names in the New Testament, wouldn't he have inspired it to be there? So what those sacred namers are doing is this. They are saying they know more than God. God, you forgot to put it there. You used the wrong language. Well, question. Who made all the languages? God did, right? Tower of Babel? Confuse their languages. So then, could you say, since God is holy and God is sacred, that since he made all the languages, the name of God in any language is holy? Would that be true? Okay. Now, let's look at, let's look at this. On the first Pentecost. Acts the second chapter. First Pentecost for the church. Where the church began, right at the temple, where all of the liturgy was done in what? Hebrew and Greek. Both. Because that was the language that was the common language in the whole area of the Eastern Mediterranean for 300 years. Now, on that day of Pentecost, there were Jews from every country around. Now, imagine how many were there. Imagine how many got the word coming back to their synagogue from different ones that went up to Jerusalem and came back and told them about Jesus and came back and told them about all the healings and came back and told them, well, I was there with a widow woman when he raised her son from the dead when they were carrying him out to bury him. Really? Yes. 
There are miracles going on in Jerusalem. Well, don't you think on that first Pentecost, when God began the church on, on that day, that he inspired a lot of different Jews from everywhere to come? Yes. Now, there may have been as many as 30,000 or more there at the temple. Now, what happened when the Holy Spirit came? Okay. Remember, the Holy Spirit only does what God uses it as his power to do. All right? So here are all the apostles all gathered together. They didn't know this was going to happen. Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. And they didn't know what that meant. So here they all are on that day of Pentecost, and at the proper time, bam, here came the Holy Spirit in power like a rushing, powerful wind. And what did it inspire them to do? Speak the words of God concerning Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, correct? Yes. What language did the apostles speak in? Multiple languages. Because the Holy Spirit inspired a miracle on that day that when the apostles spoke, what was in their mind was the truth of Jesus being spoken, but what came out was the truth of what they were speaking in the language of each of those who were there. Okay? Was that sacred language in every instant? Did it come from God? All right. Is that not sacred language? Yes. How many other languages besides Hebrew and Greek? Well, we'll look at it. Let's look at this. Let's come to Luke 23. Let's see the three active languages in the Holy Land at the time. Now, I bring this up because there are also those who say that the New Testament was originally written in Syriac or Aramaic, which was not true. It was written in Greek. Okay. Now, let's read this here. Verse 38. All right. Verse 38. Now, Pilate wanted to make sure that everyone understood who Jesus was because he declared him innocent, but through political pressure released Barabbas to be free instead of Jesus. So here's what he wrote. And there also was an inscription over him written in Greek, the main language of that time, Latin, or as the Greek says, Roman, and Hebrew. 
No Aramaic. Okay. Three languages. Now then, God never intended the New Testament to be written originally in anything other than Greek. Because Greek is a very precise language. Hebrew is not quite so so precise and has more mysticism connected with it, or what we could say, spiritual understanding or little more leeway in interpretation, but not in the Greek. Now, Let's come to Matthew, the first chapter, and let's see concerning the birth of Jesus. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus Christos in the Greek was as following. His mother, who had been betrothed to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit, okay? And and then the dream came to Joseph. No, you take her for your wife because this is of God, okay? Verse 23, behold the virgin. Now, many translations today say a virgin, but in both the Greek and the Hebrew chapter 7 is the virgin, the one, the only virgin, Mary. Shall be with child, and shall give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that's Hebrew, but notice when it's done in another language, notice what happens. which is being interpreted God with us. See? Showing that this was written in Greek, not Hebrew. Now, let's come down here to verse 25. But he, Joseph, did not have sexual relations with her until after she had given birth to her son, the firstborn, and he called his name Jesus, Yeshua, in the Greek. Okay? Now, let's look at some others because there are those that say we need to use the name Yah, which is another name for God. Let's come here to John 17. What other name do we have for God the Father? Now we know in the Old Testament there was the Most High and that's the one who became the Father. Okay? And we know that there was the one YHVH or Jehovah who became the Lord God of the Old Testament. Okay? Now in the New Testament because names are important, Jesus was called Jesus. And in whatever language that is translated into, that's the sacred name for him. Okay? 
Now, what is the sacred name for God the Father? Can anyone show me in the New Testament what it is? Well, let's look at it and we will see. John 17. Okay. Now, did Jesus know Hebrew? Yes. Did he know Aramaic? Yes. Because when he was just before he died, he said, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. That is why God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's interpreted, right? See? So if God wanted sacred names, he would have put them here. Since he didn't, he wanted it for every language and the language that people can speak and know and understand, and not the Hebrew names. Okay? So verse 1, Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, all right? Notice that. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Okay. Then we come down here to verse 3. For this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you did send. Okay. In the Greek, Jesus Christos. Okay. Now then, why did he say he was the only true God here? When the first part of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Okay, the reason is because Jesus in the flesh was not completely God. If he were completely God in the flesh... His sacrifice would not pay for the sins of human beings who are in the flesh. Now then, let's go on. And Jesus Christ, whom you did send, I have glorified you on the earth and have finished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, in the Greek that is pater. Okay, what is the name in German? Vater. What is the name in English? Father. And now, Father, glorify me with your own self, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name. Okay. If there were to be sacred names, don't you think that would be there? Huh? If he has manifested his name, Father, to them, if it were any different than Father, it would have to be right here. And it would have to be in Hebrew. But it's not. Okay? 
I have manifested your name uh, to the men whom you have given me out of the world, for they were yours, and you have given them to me, and they have kept your word. Okay. We come down here, John 17. Let's come down here to verse 11. He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, holy Father. No other name. Pater. Keep them in your name. What name? Father. Not a Hebrew sacred name. Holy Father, keep them in your name, those who you have given me, so that they may be one, even as we are one. Okay. Then we come down here to verse 21. This is what Michael read. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so that they may all be one in us, in order that the world may believe that you did send me. Okay? Now come down here to verse 24. Father, I desire who those whom you have given me may be with me where I am so that they may behold my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Notice verse 25. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. That's why they think they have to use sacred names. They don't. What is the most important thing God is looking for from us? Broken spirit and contrite heart in repentance, right? Okay. There we go. Come down to verse 25. Once again, righteous father. There we go. So all the way through. Now then, do you find in any of the epistles of the apostles, any of them, any sacred names? Other than father and Jesus Christ. No. Could Paul have written in Hebrew? Absolutely. What proof do we have? We won't turn there, but Acts 22. Remember when the mob was coming to, to kill him because he was, he was teaching Christ? And these were those who supposedly had believed in Jesus and were at the temple but they still clung to all of the ritual laws, and they wanted to kill Paul. Roman soldiers rescued him, and just before he was taken up into the fortress, Paul asked the captain, may I speak to the people? And he said yes, so he stood up on the porch there, and he began to speak to them. And when he spoke to them in Hebrew, they became silent. Could Paul 
put Hebrew words in the New Testament in his epistles any time? Yes. Did he? No. He didn't write anything in Aramaic. He didn't write anything in Hebrew. Wherever those words are used, there's always an interpretation. And there are very few places. Okay? So sacred names are not required. A repentant heart and a humble mind and a yieldedness to God and your faith and belief in Christ and his sacrifice is what God requires. So anyone coming to you using sacred names or tassels or phylacteries, and this is necessary because there are so many Messianic Jews coming along who want to try and bring their version of a gospel and get everybody all focused in on what they want. And what happens, they generally end up wanting to control everyone through the sacred names. See? So that's why God used the Greek. Now, there are other things we can add to it, but we won't take any more time with it. So we'll go ahead and take a break and be back in 20. Now, let's continue on. This section is going to be philosophy. There are a lot of people who believe that they need philosophy and they need wisdom, and you can go to any of the leading colleges and they will teach you about Aristotle and Pythagoras and all of the different philosophers, and you will find out that Catholicism is pure philosophy. How did that get started? Okay. Now, there are a lot of smart people in the world, a lot smarter than we are. Well, why didn't God call them? Because they're infatuated with their knowledge. See? Now, let's begin this by coming to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. Now, as we're going there, let's understand what Paul did when he went to Athens. Okay, now Athens was the center of the Greek religion. And they had the, the big temple there, which there's a copy of it in Nashville, Tennessee today, the Parthenon. And they had discussions about God, about time, about everything. And there were those who, who thought that they should eat, drink, and be merry. And those who thought, that, like the Stoics, the others were Epicureans and the Stoics, they said, well, we've got to beat the flesh. The only way we can get rid of evil is beat the flesh. See, So Paul came there. And he told them, I came into your city and I saw this 
inscription on this memorial to the unknown God? Well, since you don't know him, I'm going to tell you about him. So, And then he pe- preached Christ and the resurrection. Well, the Greeks always want to know wisdom, knowledge. I saw a special on Pathenagoras who went to Egypt to find out all the mysteries of the Egyptians. And all of the mysteries and philosophies of the Egyptians was Satanism, including the technology and some of the technology we don't even know anything about. But we can understand this. In the excavations and digging ups of all of these graves and everything and temples in in Egypt and also Central America and other places, you're digging into what God destroyed because of their sins. And also, you think about going into some of these, these big caves that they dug underground what do they have in there today? So you can see what they have put on the walls. They run electric lights down there. Don't you think they had some form of electricity when they did all of the drawings and inscriptions and everything down there in the tombs? Yes, indeed. So Pathenagoras was one of the leading ones in Athens. Okay, And so the Greeks specialized themselves. We're smart. We have philosophers. They have figured everything out. So here comes Paul. <laughs> okay. Now, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 17. First chapter. Let's see what he says right at the first. Okay. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay. He did a few baptisms there, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words. See, because if you can have poetry, if you can have symmetry, if you can have all of these different things, and the Greek language is subject to that really something very special, okay? Not with the wisdom of words. Now, the word for wisdom is Sophia. And philosophy is Philly Sophia, which is lover of wisdom. Okay? Now, these are the words and wisdoms of men. lest the cross of Christ be made void. Now, this is what it was there in Greece. I mean, the dichotomy between what was being preached and what was thought of as wisdom and philosophy was like a great chasm. Okay? So he writes it here in verse 14. And to those who are perishing, the, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. Same today. If you go to some of these very well-educated and important people and tell them, hey, your wisdom is lacking the knowledge of God. 
oh, well, the Bible is full of lies and, and it's just written by men, you know, like, like Harari has said. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now think about that. Coupled with the Holy Spirit, the words of God bring you the power to be converted. Okay? The power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. It's all going to come to nothing. See? Have the wise ones been able to solve our problems? You know? Did Adam and Eve solve their problems when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? No. See, because if you don't have God, and if you don't have the Spirit of God, you can have the education of the world, the highest that you can ever have, and you're still an ignorant fool. Okay? I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will nullify the understanding of those who understand. So then he asked the question, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Hmm? Step forth and show your cause. All right. Think about it today. They would come and say, you know, I just asked Jonathan, just for example, I've been wanting to have the James Webb a telescope website on my laptop. So Jonathan came over and, and put me on that there so I could see some of the pictures that they're taking, and they're awesome. I mean, if you want to, you can subscribe to it. You can go on and put it on your laptop as well. But I saw some vast new pictures of the universe never before seen. And the Number of stars and galaxies are innumerable. And there are all the colors of blue and red and yellow and the different shades in between. And then there was a section, watch the sun for 133 days. So I turned to that section of it. And what the sun does and the way that it works is awesome. Awesome. And so the wisdom of the wise of this world say, it all evolved. The simplicity of the word of God says, I, God, have created it. And what the Son does is so magnificent it is unreal. Okay? Where's the disputer of this age? Did not God make the wisdom of this world foolish? For since by the wisdom of God, the world through its own wisdom did not know God. Ah, uh, we don't need God, we'll do it ourselves. Isn't that what Adam and Eve said in the face of God? God, don't tell us what to do. We'll figure it out ourselves. We're smart. God says, go ahead. How did that work out? <laughs> After 1,500 years, what did God have to do to all the descendants? Boom! 
eliminate them with a flood because they were evil. Okay? World did not know God. It pleased God to save those who believed through the foolishness of preaching. See? And that's what they look at the Bible as. That's amazing. And they think they're smart in doing it. And yet, all of them who believe in evolution can't even produce one, one, not even one missing link. If there were evolution, there would be missing links everywhere, right? Okay. So then he says here, concerning that, all right, let's come down here to verse 25, okay? For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, okay? No. God chose those who are willing to hear, to listen, to repent, and believe God, okay? Verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, that there are not many who are wise according to the flesh, and not many who are powerful, and not many who are high-born among you, okay? We have any senators, ex-presidents, okay? No. Rather, God has chosen the foolish things of the world so that he might put to shame those who are wise. Because if you learn the wisdom of God and you learn the way of God, you're smarter than all of them. See? Though they still look down upon you as being stupid because you didn't go to their schools and weren't accepted by them. Well, who would you rather be accepted by? Them or God? See? By God. Now, they call that foolishness. So that he might put to shame those who are wise, because the day will come at the resurrection, and they're going to have to confess we were ignorant in all our wisdom. Okay? And that God has chosen the weak things of the world so that he might put to shame the strong things and the low-born of the world and the despised has God chosen, even the things that are counted as nothing, in order that he might bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh may glorify in his presence. That's why Job had to be humbled the way he was. Eh? Job thought he could teach God a thing or two. <laughs> well, that lasted long enough when he, God came and spoke to him in a whirlwind, you know, and said, Job, come here. I have a word for you. I want you to answer this question. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? if you're so smart, see? And after all, you only did what I commanded, and then you take all the credit to yourself, see? 
So that's going to be the message to all of the smart people when they're resurrected. All right? Now, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4. And my message and my preaching was not in the persuasive words of human wisdom or philosophy. Okay? Rather, it was in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power so that your faith might not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Okay? Now, we speak wisdom among the spiritually mature. However, it is not the wisdom of this world, nor of the rulers of this world who are coming to nothing. Okay? You would think that Trump learned that lesson. Wasn't he brought to nothing? Okay. Now, a lot of people think, oh, if Trump gets in, we're going to have a reprieve. Really? I don't think so. Little sidebar. If he gets in, he's, they're going to hang everything on him. So wait and see. Okay. Rather, verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom that God foreordained before the ages unto our glory. Okay. As Michael pointed out in his message, God had all of this planned way, way ahead of time, see? All right which none of the rulers of this world has known, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Okay. But I've, we've covered this before, but let's, let's grasp all of this. And I think after seeing some of those fantastic uh, pictures from the James Webb Telescope website and seeing out there billions of light years away, now stop and think of this. When God stood there with Abraham, and God said to Abraham, look up to the stars and count them if you're able to number them. Abraham's perspective was very small. But when God said it, so shall your seed be, it was more like what we can see now on the James Webb Telescope, the vastness of the universe that's almost inexplicable, and how could that possibly get there without a creator? Okay. That's what God saw. Abraham didn't see that. But this is what God was looking to. Okay. Now, so he says, verse 9, But according as it is written, the eye is not seen, nor the ear heard, neither is entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. See? Now speaking of love, next week I'm going to bring a message on the perverted love of this world. See? But, by the very fact that you keep God's Sabbath, you have his Holy Spirit, you have his word, you live by his word,
God loves you and you love God. And this is a two-way thing every day in our lives. See? But God has revealed them to us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. We understand things that people don't know. How many know what God is going to do for all these poor human beings that knew nothing that were cut off from God and deceived by Satan the devil? What is God going to do with them? Well, the Bible shows there's a second resurrection, right? How many people in the world even have a clue as to what that means? Very few indeed. For who among men understand the things of men except by the spirit of man which is in him? In the same way also, the things of God, no one understands except by the spirit of God. So, the very fact that you know and understand means that you have the knowledge that the world does not even comprehend. Okay? And in the present state, cannot comprehend. Okay? Now let's come to Colossians, the second chapter. And let's see something here. Okay? Colossians, the second chapter. Now this really becomes important because it shows that. There were those who were coming into the church at Colossae and Laodicea, and they were bringing the teachings of men that sounded like that they could be attached to the gospel that Paul was preaching. Okay? And isn't that what people always try and do? They get something in the Bible and then they try and improve it, right? Because they're smarter than God. Well, they don't think that way, but that's what it is. See? All right? Let's finish a little bit in chapter 1 before we go into chapter 2, okay? Now, let's pick it up here in verse 23, chapter 1. It's an introduction to chapter 2. If indeed, if you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all the creation that is under heaven of which I, Paul, became a servant. Okay? Now that tells us a lot. We have to be faithful. We have to be steadfast. We have to be hoping in Christ, hoping in God all the time. Now, so then he says, now I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for you. Let me just interject right here. If you think you're suffering bad, go read 2 Corinthians 11 and ask yourself, have I even done one of these things that Paul went through? Think of the one. He was beaten three times with rods, 39 stripes. Right? 
If anybody has been beaten with one stripe, please send me an email or letter and let me know. All right? And I am fulfilling up in my flesh that which was is behind in the tribulation of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a servant according to the administration of God that was given to me in order to complete the word of God. Now, that's quite a statement right there. He knew he had to be part of completing the word of God. So in this book that I'll mention next week about, the New Testament was canonized by Paul, Peter, and John. Okay? God did not leave it to the early church fathers. Those were the invaders and philosophers coming into the church later to change the gospel. And that's the fullness of what the Catholic Church is today. All right? Even a mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints, to whom God did will. Now notice this. This is the will of God the Father to every single one of us. God did will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? The Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of Christ, John 14. Go back and read that again. Okay? When we preached, admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, Sophia... That is the wisdom of God, okay? So that we may present everyone or every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's what God wants, okay? the perfection of Christ. For this cause, I also labor, striving according to his inner workings, which works in me with power. Now we come to chapter 2. Now we come to a major problem of philosophy, and we will see where does philosophy lead to. Okay, Look at what is happening today. Is this not coming from all of the philosophically educated people of the world? Okay. Let's read it. Verse 1. Now, I want you to understand what great concern I have for you and those in Laodicea, as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts be encouraged, being knit together in love unto all riches of full assurance of understanding. Notice, you comprehend? Unto the knowledge of the mystery that is, having the knowledge of the truth of God through his Sabbath and holy days, the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid, now notice, 
in God, in Christ, are hid all. So you circle that. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See? Now that's quite a thing. Comes from God with his spirit given to each one of us. Now this I say so that no one may deceive you. Okay. Now we're going to notice the way that he has written this. Here's a statement of truth concerning God and Christ and then a warning about deception. See? Why would he say that so that no one may deceive you by persuasive speech. How many times do you hear things that are very persuasive that are really not from God? Or that sound like they are from God but aren't. And that makes it even doubly more difficult to understand. Okay? For though I am indeed absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? Therefore, now mark this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, be walking in him. This tells us what we need to be doing being rooted and built up in him and being confirmed in the faith exactly as you were taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Okay. This is the positive thing we need to do. This is what we need to practice. Now then notice verse 8. Verse 8 gives another warning. So this must have really been quite a thing that was coming into the church. Be on guard. That means always be alert. Okay. Now, there's a word in the Greek which is translated keep, but it also means to protect, and to guard. And that's in relationship to the truth. Okay, I'll bring that out later. But be on guard so that no one takes you captive through philosophy. Oh, that was an interesting speech. There was something really profound in what was said. Okay, and then you ask him, what did he say? I don't remember, but it was good. <laughs> okay, through philosophy and vain deceit. What were one of the vain deceits? That Jesus possessed a man and when the crucifixion came, the man died, but not Jesus. 
Now, if you don't know the truth of the scripture, you might say, well, that sounds interesting. That's called deocetism. Okay. Now, notice, vain deceit according to the traditions of men, their teachings, their philosophies, okay, according to the elements of the world and not according to Christ. Okay. What does this also tell us? Go clear back to Genesis 3. Where did this start? With Adam and Eve doing what? Eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See? Now, the only way that they became like God was to decide for themselves what was right and wrong and good and evil. And you hear that today, don't you? Some people said, will say, well, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I'll decide for myself. Okay? How many times has that ended in disaster? Over and over and over down through the centuries. Okay? Traditions of men, elements of the world, not according to Christ. Okay? Now, verse 9 gives you an inkling of it. Through philosophy, as we will see, they were trying to say that the gospel was incomplete. That you needed the Greek philosophy to make it complete. We'll see that. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You don't need to get in contact with lesser powers. Okay? Those are demons. And they're religious demons. And there are nice demons. There are evil demons. But they're all sinning against God. Okay? You are complete in him who is the head of the principalities and powers in whom you also have been circumcised with the circumcision not made by hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's called the circumcision of the heart. And that is taking away the hostility of your mind toward God and his laws. Okay. Having been buried with him in baptism, you go read Romans, the sixth chapter. What does that tell us about baptism? We were conjoined to the death of Christ. Now think about how a powerful relationship that that is. Conjoined. I liken it to this, that when we're baptized, we are laid on the body of Christ. Okay? For the forgiveness of sins. I don't know how else to interpret the word conjoined, but it was like all the sins of all people were put on Christ when he died, which is true. Okay. 
circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him, by which also you have been raised with him through the inner workings of God who raised him from the dead. For you were once dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has now made alive with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. And he has blotted out the note of debt. Now, this is what it is. This verse in the King James is an awful translation. And the Protestants have an awful misinterpretation of it. They say that God nailed the laws of the Ten Commandments to the cross. Well, we just read it in the first message. What was nailed to the cross? Christ and the sign. In three languages, this is the king of the Jews, right? Nothing else was there, okay? So let's read it. He had blotted out the note of debt against us with the decrees of our sins. In other words, in our minds and in our hearts, every sin you've ever committed has been written there, right? Everything you've ever done has been written there, correct? Okay. Now, in conversion, what is to happen to us? We're to have renewing of mind. How does that come about? With God's Spirit. And he has to erase those things in our minds. And some of them are very difficult to erase. And some of them keep coming back and we need to have them erased again, right? You can look back into your own life. The older you get, you look back and you remember certain things that happened, okay? Only God can take that away. Only God can remove that with his spirit, okay? He has made alive with him, having forgiven all your trespasses and having blotted out the note of debt against us with the decrees of our sins, which was contrary to us. He has taken it away, having nailed it to his cross. Verse 15. After stripping the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them and has triumphed over them in it. He has conquered all of Satan and all the demons. Therefore, verse 16, do not allow anyone to judge you. Now, this could also be condemn you in eating and drinking and with regard to a festival or a new moon or the Sabbaths. Okay. Why would that be there? Why were they coming after them? We'll come back here to verse 8. It tells us, Be on guard that so no one takes you captive through philosophies. That's the religion of men. Philosophies and vain deceit according to the traditions of men. Okay? So they come along. Here they were living in a Greek society. Paul comes. God calls people. 
They quit going to the temple of Zeus. They quit going to the temple of Athena. They quit hanging out with all the philosophers, and they forsake all the religious practices of the Greeks. Now, before, they were living in them. Now, all those who see them not doing it, and they think they're right, what is it that we have similar to that today? Oh, you keep the Jewish Sabbath, and you keep the Jewish holy days. No. See, we don't. But in the vanity of their philosophies, and in the vanity of their way of explaining life and everything else, and all of the gods that they have who are all demonic and satanic, they look at what they were doing and they were judging and criticizing them and saying, why are you doing this? See? So let's read it again. Therefore, do not allow anyone to judge you in eating or in drinking. You mean you won't eat pork anymore? You used to love that bacon and stack it on your sandwich. Now, when God was calling me, I was a chef at what was called Sandy's Kitchen in the Stanford Shopping Center. Okay? And I would come to work, and my shift would begin at 4 o'clock, and I would go to midnight because I was going to college in the daytime. So I would come in about little after three o'clock, and I would make myself a bacon and tomato sandwich. And since I worked there, I could put on as much bacon as I wanted. Okay. Now, I fried it crisp, lots of mayonnaise, tomatoes, lettuce, rye toast. Oh, it was delicious. Okay. But... During the shift working, I would have herpes. When I quit eating the pork, it quit. Okay? Now, what else it was with eating? Okay? What other things could you think of? Okay? I don't know. All right? Or with regard to a festival... You mean you keep, what's that you keep? It's, it, 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 it's what? Passover? Unleavened bread? Who ever heard of such a silly thing? See, because to the world, that's foolishness. To God, what they're doing is stupidity. Okay? And I have yet to see a fat man come down a chimney with a big bag of toys to give it to kids. Okay. <laughs> Festival. Okay. And then we have Pentecost. Then we have Trumpets and Atonement. And then we have Feast of Tabernacles. And in all of that foolishness of God, 
contains the plan of God, what he's doing. And in their philosophy and great education, they don't know a thing. But they think they're the smartest in the world. Just ask them. They'll tell you. And they'll look and sneer at you and say, what college did you go to? Okay. Ambassador what? (laughs) Okay. Now notice what they get into. Okay. Here's what they miss. Okay. All of these. Festival, new moon, that means calculated Hebrew calendar because it's in the singular. And the Sabbaths, all the holy days. So here we are on the Sabbath day and what are we learning? We're learning the knowledge and understanding of God, right? Okay. Which are a foreshadow of the things that are coming That tells us what God is doing. So if someone asked you and said, Kip, tell me what God is doing. You could say, well, if you got 20 minutes, I'll give you a quick rundown. Okay. You could tell them. Okay. And they could go to Wade and said, what are you doing on your Pentecost down there? The only Pentecost I know are those who are shouting and yelling and jumping up and down and having a hoopla. What do you do? Okay. Okay. But the body of Christ, meaning the body of Christ gives us the understanding. Now notice what philosophy leads people to do. And we see it today, don't we? We'll see it. Do not allow anyone to defraud you of the prize by doing his will in self-abasement and worship of angels, that is, satanic or demonic angels. Every time someone bows down to a cross, someone bows down to a statue of Mary or a statue of Jesus, you're bowing down to a demon. See? Self-abasement and the worship of angels, intruding into things that he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his own carnal mind. And that's what happened. They get so self-righteous. Oh, he had a vision. Could Satan give you a vision? Of course he could give you a vision. Okay. Well, you'll never know what happened when I bowed down at St. Peter's Basilica with the cross of Jesus up there, something just came over me, and it was so thrilling. It was a demon. That place is is the headquarters of religious demons of a false Jesus, and they want you, so they'll give you a great experience. Okay? And when that happens, verse 19 and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body being supplied and knit together by the joints and bands 
is increasing with the increase of God. Therefore, if you have died together with Christ from the elements of the world, how? You die through baptism. That's what it's talking about. Elements of the world, philosophies of this world. Okay. Why are you subjecting yourselves to the decrees of men as if you were living in the world? Now then, he listed some of the things that they have, some of the things that they did. Verse 21, they say, you may not handle, you may not taste, you may not touch. The use of all such things leads to corruption according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Okay. Now that's what we're seeing take place in the world today. Satan, you go on church at home and you watch the five segments on Satan out of the closet. And that'll tell you what's happening. Now then. Let's come to Isaiah 8, and we'll finish here in just a bit, okay? And see what is happening today. Isaiah 8, and what it's leading to, okay? And remember, everything in these last days, okay, is leading up to the one world government of the beast that is coming and being formed right now. Verse 16, Isaiah 8. Verse 16. Bind up the testimony. Now that's the New Testament. Seal the law among my disciples. In other words, the meaning of the New Testament and the laws of God are found where? In the disciples of God, which are through Christ. And I will wait upon the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will trust in him. Verse 18 then shows us about the church. Now, isn't it interesting how it's written? Here's one verse that applies to the whole church. And he put this in here to contrast with what comes after that. Verse 18, behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me, that's Christ speaking, are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they shall say to you, this is what they're saying today, with all the things that they are doing, okay? We're not fighting against Protestantism or Catholicism. We're fighting against Satanism and demonism and the worst kind of practices and gender changing that could possibly happen. See? And they don't believe in God, and they're happy to worship Satan openly. Okay? Now read verse 19. And when they say to you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits. Isn't that what Paul wrote there in Colossians 2? Be on guard against? the worship of fallen angels or demons, familiar spirits and wizards that peep and mutter, but should not a people seek unto their God? Should not the dead be sought on behalf of the living? Okay. 
That's what we're seeing today all around us. Nothing but demonism. Okay? Now contrast it. Here's the way to avoid all of that. Verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Okay? Now then, remember what Jesus said at the end time. There will come many false prophets and false Christ and do signs and wonders to deceive the elect. We're right in the middle of that, okay? No light in them. Now, here's the result of what they do, verse 21. And they shall pass through the land hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall rave and curse their king and their God and look upward and they shall look to the land, and behold, trouble and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they shall be driven away into darkness. And that's what we're seeing take place now, because they're leaving God. Because they have the philosophies of men, they have the philosophies of the religions of this world, and this is where it's headed. So Paul told us to stay steadfast in the word of God and in the love of God. And that's what it's all about. So this helps us understand what, what's going on in the world today.